0: back to the Like of Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host Chris Ward and let me tell you I got done recording this week's episode and I it was just incredibly excited to share the conversation. Um, I'm talking to Micah Meyer who is in the midst of it I mean to use epic which at times could be an overused words There's no better word for it. He's in the midst of an epic quest that is taking him around the United States as he's trying to uh, become a world record holder for visiting the 417 National Parks Managed Sites. Um, And I know what you're thinking. You're kind of thinking what I was thinking. Like, what? 417 National Park Managed Sites? I don't know. I guess that's your, yours and my voice <laughs> at this point. Um, but yeah, man, and he'll get into that. He'll explain it. Um, it's National Parks Managed. So it's not necessarily the National Parks, but it's uh, all the sites that the National Parks Department manages. Uh, he started his journey um, in 2016 in, uh, at the Washington Monument and he's planning on ending his journey next year at the Lincoln Memorial, which is so incredible, man. Like, to end where you can look across a reflecting pool and see where you begun. Like, how ridiculously cool is that? Um, so yeah, man, uh, you can follow him, MicahMeyer.com. Also, check out his Instagram. Definitely follow him there. Uh, I'm excited to kind of just, you know, check in every every so often but where's Micah where's Micah at now (laughs) and see where where he's visiting where he's exploring next um a cool uh aspect of his story is the idea that this project has become almost larger than just a one person project uh as he is an advocate for um getting more exposure of the lgbt community in the outdoors industry uh which he'll go into and chat a little bit about on the podcast and you know i always find it so cool when people have discovered kind of a bigger purpose for one of these projects because these projects i mean this is one man going around visiting 417 u.s national park sites um which can at first kind of seem like a selfish endeavor but when you can use this as a platform to really be a proponent for for positive change I mean I think that's so cool and I think it's so awesome just and he'll share in the podcast just the natural process of discovering that that's what his purpose was because he didn't set out that wasn't his purpose when he set out but like along the way you discover discover um a bigger deeper meaning which is so cool and that's kind of something i always want to promote to people is just by you setting off on your own path and chasing something that you're passionate about it can really inspire and kind of for kind of form this purpose uh that you might not have had starting off like you're through your journey your purpose will change, um, you know, and it could become something that is going to be meaningful for a ginormous to use a made up word, a ginormous (laughs) group of, of people. And it could be a platform to promote positivity and to promote goodness. And that's always been this podcast kind of main, uh, one of my, main goals. And it took me a while to realize that, like, I just want to promote goodness in the world and spread goodness through the stories of these really inspirational, super cool people like Micah. So, uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy the podcast. There are moments where I'm not even gonna lie. I was about to start, start tearing up a bit. Um, his story begins, uh, kind of the, the journey of, Of Micah begins with a very close personal death in his family and uh, I just I feel like that's something anybody can relate to but at the same time when it's a personal personal death it's something that is so it's it's something people can relate to in the fact that you know we've all had people in our lives pass away or we've all had certain hardships but at the same time it's so such an individual experience because each each story of that is going to be so completely different from another one so uh, definitely moments of the podcast where I'm trying not to get emotional I'm trying to keep it together (laughs) Um, but then also uh, moments of you know hilarity from tales from the road um moments of real insight into the national parks sites around the world or around the united states is super cool because he's going to 417 only 59 of those are like the actual quote-unquote national parks and so he can really give us insight of like hey you know there are some um uh, some National park represented sites that aren't national parks, but like they're really cool still. You guys should totally visit them. so he has some really awesome insight into that um kind of aspect of his journey. so definitely be sure to check that out. I mean one thing I would suggest doing after listening to this podcast is going out and visiting one of these sites I mean, look on if you go to his website, which is Micah Meyer, which. Micah is M-I-K-A-H-M-E-Y-E-R. If you go to his website, you can see the map that he's using, and it shows you all of the um, all of the national park managed sites in the United States. And I guarantee you, you're gonna have some by you. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm from. Eastern Iowa on the Mississippi River, that's where I grew up, and there's two sites right there. And I was like, man, i never visited either one of those. <laughs> I totally should have. Uh and now I'm out in Colorado and there's, you know, some sites through Nebraska, you know, through Wyoming that I would definitely, definitely be willing to check out. So so go to his website, Michaelmeyer.com. Definitely follow him on on Instagram. That's kind of his main platform. Uh yeah, go out and visit someplace new, guys. Uh, go on your own adventure. His adventure is amazing, super inspiring, and I'm hoping it inspires you to kind of chase after your own adventure. All right, let's get into the podcast. Uh, This is Like a Bigfoot, which, by the way, you can totally subscribe to on iTunes. That would be awesome. Uh, So (laughs) this is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 79 with Micah Meyer. Enjoy, guys. Alright guys this week I'm welcoming Micah Meyer to the podcast and he is doing this just insane amazing super inspiring journey right now and uh, yeah he was he was recommended by uh, Bill Psycholic and I just kind of want to hear your story Micah
1: well hey it's great to be here I um, for the past 21 months have been living in a white windowless cargo van while driving around the United States and trying to set a world record as the youngest person to ever visit all 417 national park service sites. That's
0: yeah, that's just like mind-blowingly amazing and I definitely want to kind of get into that, but I guess just for my own interest, like where where are you at right now then?
1: So I am sitting in the guest room of a friend's house in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, I was just at the outdoor retailer convention in Denver, Colorado last week, which is the one that moved from Salt Lake City to Denver and is the largest in North America. And I'm on my way to the uh, National Park Service sites in the northeast corner of Arizona.
0: Okay, so what sites are those?
1: Um, it's the Hubble Trading Post National Historic Site, and then the Canyon de Chez National Monument, and then Petrified Forest National Park.
0: Okay, okay, that's awesome, man. What did, what did you, uh, how did you like Denver? What did you think of the conference?
1: Uh, it was really fascinating. It was my first outdoor retailer. I I was there, you know, not really representing any company or manufacturer. I was there representing myself. But also was trying to uh, talk to the companies there about helping get them into the gay dollar. The outdoor industry is kind of drastically behind the rest of corporate America when it comes to marketing to the LGBT community. Yeah. So I wanted to help them figure out how they could tap into a new market that thus far nobody has done.
0: Nice, man. Well, how did those like? How did the conversations go? Like, how did how did you leave the conference feeling about that?
1: Um, you know, it was both, po- it was both positive and negative. Like I, I talked to some brands and I said, Hey, you know, I've got this following of 45,000 people on Instagram and most of them are gay. So I feel like you're missing out on a bunch of people with double income, no kids, a bunch of people who are obsessed with image and being fit. And, you know, this is a major market that you're missing out on. And, and one brand told me like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we could get away with doing any advertising without offending my bosses um and some of the larger companies are a little more receptive to the possibility but it's it's unfortunately such a uh non-diverse industry that any sort of pushing outside the box is is scary yeah
0: yeah do you think you made i don't know because you know with with uh kind of things like that do you think you made some tiny positive steps in the right direction and you know next year you show up to the outdoor retailer and you have some of the conversations and uh maybe like a little bit more receptive
1: oh totally i mean my big goal is the outdoor industry has never had a pride month ad so pride month is celebrated every june across the united states and companies from wells fargo to oreo to even marriott which is owned by mormons all have Pride Month ads, but yet nobody in the outdoor industry has ever had one. So that was my big push to them was just do like one ad, you can target it to the LGBT community, but start to make inroads with with this market. And, you know, a lot of people said to me, I had never heard anyone even put it that way. You know, people talk about the need for diversity on a social justice reasoning, which I'm totally for. But as I had some of my mentors explain to me, when it comes down to businesses, you have to make it about dollar and cents. So I'm, I'm hoping that hitting it from that angle uh, opened their eyes in a way that maybe they hadn't had it opened when it was only about doing what's right.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. That's awesome, that's super cool, and I've, I've kind of, over the last few days, um, have been looking at your website, which is com, and uh, I just, I've noticed that Well, first of all, there's a lot of your story I want to get into, Um, but it seems like your purpose for in the National Park Project, like this purpose to promote the uh, LGBT community has kind of like just morphed uh, in the process into becoming kind of the thing you're focused on, which is super cool.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating, you know, and, and we can talk about this, the reasons I started this journey, but none of them were to be an advocate for the LGBT community and the outdoors. In fact, when I started this, I didn't even realize that they were so underrepresented in this industry. And it was really a result of people reaching out to me and seeing articles about me in the news and saying, wow, I've never seen another openly gay person who likes the outdoors. Or... Uh, you know, national park nonprofits coming to me and saying, we have recognized that the LGBT community is underserved and oftentimes don't feel safe in our outdoor spaces. Can you just being who you are, you know, trumpet that and help us attract them to these sites. And so this was something that I was completely naive to before beginning this project, but really at the will of the people have, have taken it on as, as another mission for the journey.
0: Yeah, man, that's awesome. And that's like, I don't know, it's just super powerful. The idea of, kind of a purpose evolving naturally just by like setting this really cool goal all of a sudden you have something that you're really kind of striving towards which is super cool
1: well it's, it's like anything in life you know you start it with one reason and it evolves yeah. so it's been fun to see the way that it's changed in the past 21 months
0: yeah definitely definitely well yeah let's get into your story what's a uh, what's your background like how did you get started um, you know i read a little bit you did kind of the ultimate road trip and that whole story is really fascinating to me so i'd love it if you could share it on here
1: yeah i mean this whole big project really started when i was 19 years old because it was a, it was at that time that my dad passed away from esophageal cancer and he was 58 at the time and so i started to learn this lesson that like oh wow we might not all make it to 65 We might not even make it to 50. We might not even make it to tomorrow. So whatever our goals are, like we really need to pursue them now. We can't assume we're gonna live to 80. And so my dad was, he was a pastor, but he was always a big fan of road trips and said that if he hadn't been a pastor, he likely would have been a trucker. And uh, so a few days after his funeral, when I was 19, I took my first ever road trip and have done one road trip every year since, around the time of his death as a way to honor the road trips that, that he'd ever gotten anymore, but also to honor this lesson of like, I could die in a year, so every year I wanna do something to honor life and to honor the things that I enjoy and honor my goals so that whenever I die, I don't have to regret
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, man. What what was that first road trip?
1: <laughs> it was um, from from Lincoln, Nebraska to the glamorous locations. Of Sioux Falls, South Dakota yeah. and yeah. Rochester, Minnesota.
0: Nice man. You went through my home state. You went or I'm assuming you went through Iowa, right? Or did you cut around it?
1: Uh I went through Iowa on the way back from okay. Minnesota, but I didn't I didn't have a destination in mind and on, on that trip. On that
0: trip yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. That's cool, man. What okay, so you just got in the car, you just took off down the road. No destination mind. Like what? What kind of sights were you seeing? Like how were you trying to experience life on that road trip?
1: Um, well, there was a little planning to it. I actually had um, had been planning this trip for four to five months. It was going to be my first independent road trip ever. And I asked my dad before he passed if I could use his car. And my childhood best friend was going to come along with me. We'd kind of had a falling out um, over the previous year. And it was sort of our chance to try to try to reconcile that. Um, so really the goal was just to go and visit a few friends. I, I had some friends in Brookings, South Dakota, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and then in the Twin Cities and Rochester. And I thought, we'll just take one week. We'll visit some friends. It'll be, you know, not too far. And it was just like to be able to escape Lincoln, which for three years had been nothing but chemo and radiation and hospice care. And it was just so transformational for me and opened up my heart and mind to heal in ways that I don't think I would have without it.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, because I I just really related to your story because I went through a a hard situation and then a a month or so later took a road trip by myself to Colorado um, and yeah, it's just a little bit of, of it is that escapism where you get to escape your everyday like regular routine, but but it, it morphs on the journey into something just so much more.
1: Well, I think there really is a power in the change of space. I read this piece once that talked about the magical effect that happens at 35,000 feet that when you get on a plane somewhere and then you land somewhere in the air, your mind shifts, your attitude changes, your body relaxes depending on where you're going. And I think it's true about road trips too. Something about just physically putting yourself in a different space where you're not surrounded by the normal temptations or obligations of your regular life allows you to look at things and feel things that you wouldn't otherwise.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's a little bit of it too of Once you start driving, even if it's to from Lincoln to Rochester, which, you know, is still a significant distance, you start driving and then you just kind of realize just how big this area actually is, you know, is there that, do you think?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, it's like for us driving from Nebraska to Kansas, if you're in Europe, you'd cross two or three different countries (laughs) and languages and, you know, just the United States being the size that it is. And being states instead of different countries um, it 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 changes things because for us to drive eight hours is nothing but for my friends in Europe an eight hour drive is like insane
0: yeah yeah did you so did you discover this like transformative power of travel on that first one or like how how long into you know going on these road trips did you really realize that how powerful it is
1: yeah Oh, it was that first one. Uh, I mean, my my childhood best friend and I, basically the previous the previous year, my dad was in hospice the whole time. I ended up not getting to go to the college. I wanted to go out of state, stayed home to help take care of him. And so, like, I was just a horrible person to be around. And, and then after his death and after this road trip, like, you know, I said to my friend, I, I'm sorry for being a jerk the past year. Life is short. This is dumb. You know, there's no reason to be mad at each other. And that was really the beginning of of this realization of carpe diem and appreciating time and people while you have them. And it started with you know the, the healing of that one relationship. So, out of my father's death, I gained a new appreciation for life. Yeah,
0: yeah, man, wow. Uh, where did you where where did you go after that? Like, because I know all of this ultimately, you know, comes together in. Not only this ultimate road trip where you did all the national parks in the US, right? But it also goes into what you're doing now, which is all the national like managed sites
1: Yeah, so you know that that first trip at age 19 was was Sioux Falls in Minnesota and then the next year at the same time It was Chicago and Wisconsin and then every year it kind of grew a little bit bigger a little bit further until When I was 25, I lived out of my dad's car for nine months and drove 16,400 miles to 46 U.S. states and Canadian provinces. And it, it was really on that trip that I started planting the seeds for this epic road trip because I realized that essentially I had taken one year off more or less at age 25 and some people called it a year of retirement. And so I thought, well, if most people retire at age 65, what if I, at age 25, age 30, age 35, etc., take one year off, and instead of spending years 65 to 75 retired, I just sprinkle those years, those 10 years, every five years, and then by the time I reach age 75, I'll be caught up with everyone that retired at 65.
0: Yeah. Dude, that's such a good and idea. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was just trying to process well, that. Like, that's a really do. I mean, did you come up on? I know you came up with this on your own, but like after starting starting it did did you realize other people have the same idea or or is this kind of like uh, what your you, own thought?
1: What do you mean? Other people have the same idea? Like,
0: did you go online? Like, hey, has anyone decided basically just to sprinkle their retirement throughout their you know their working life and then?
1: Oh yeah. Um, no, it was really an organic process. It was, it was this nine months that I spent on the road and people saying to me like, Oh, you basically retired for a year and then realizing, okay, this math makes really good sense. And and really the kicker for me was that, you know, if my, if I die at 58, like my dad, then I will have quote retired for seven years because age 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 55. Yeah. Um, so I could, if I died at 58, I could be like, you know what? I didn't lose out on, on waiting until 65 to do the things I wanted to like visit all the national parks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so you ended up going out there like how, what is that like living out of a car for a year? How is that adjustment? Cause you know, we were introduced by a uh, bill who's running a marathon in all the national parks and you yeah. know, every time I hang out with bill, I'm always fascinated by that idea of, wow, like you lived just basically in your car, super minimalist for for a significant amount of time. That has to be a big adjustment.
1: Right, God bless Bill, because <laughs> um, no, the car thing, you know, it's interesting. The, the trip that I did at age 25 for nine months was the happiest nine months of my life. It was the coolest thing I'd ever done. Um, but the difference was, especially compared to this current trip, which I talk, I'll talk about in a little bit, um, my entire itinerary was was determined by where I could stay with friends and family for free. Gotcha. So sort of every road trip I'd done to that point was all based around people I could visit because I was a college student, I didn't have any money. And so that trip at 25 was the same thing. And so I, yes, I was living out of my car, but I never had to like sleep in my car. And gotcha. Bill actually yeah. like has a tent on his car roof and sleeps in it. So <laughs> I have to give him mad props.
0: Yes, because man. yeah. <laughs> yeah, every time, it, cause we've gone running together quite a bit in the last few months since he moved out here. And you know, I see the top of his car and it always just takes me a little bit of time to process like, oh, that's a, that's a tent. And that's where he can just stay when he's on the road.
1: Yeah, I mean, he gets mad good mileage, but um, that's it's really uh, a lot less glamorous than it sounds. Yeah,
0: yeah, I gotta imagine. So that's cool, man. So you went and you went to was it every national park in the like continental U.S. at the time?
1: No. So that, that trip at 25, I called it my dream road trip. Okay. And actually my my sole motivation on that journey was to see everyone I'd ever met who was still alive and lived in North America. Whoa. Because yeah, cause it started out by realizing that I had some aunts and uncles over the age of 70 and was like, uh, okay, people die over the age of 70 and it's not a surprise. And I haven't seen some of them for years.
0: Yeah.
1: So, the initial idea was to see all my aunts and uncles, and then I realized I had cousins that had babies I hadn't met, and I kind of plotted them on the map, and they were all across the country. So then I thought, well, if I'm driving everywhere, I might as well to see everyone I'd ever met, um, <laughs> because that way, if they, you know, if they die, then at least I can say, hey, we might have been camp, we might have been camp counselors together at age 19, but I saw you again at 26 and we got to hang out one more time. Yeah.
0: Wow, man. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's amazing. Like, you know, it's such a horrible horrible like beyond horrible thing that your dad passed away um but the lessons that have come from that and the like you were able to kind of you know use those lessons to really make a significant difference in your own life um that's that's incredibly powerful
1: well and that's what i'm trying to do with these with this project now is trying to help share that lesson with people so they can learn it in a way that wasn't as hard as I had to. Yeah. Like take take this lesson, take these things that I learned through losing my dad and apply them even if you haven't lost someone close to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So during that trip, are you going like everywhere in the United States? Like how many states did you end up visiting?
1: Um, so it was 46 states and Canadian provinces. I went to grad school in, in Canada and so okay. I had a bunch of friends scattered across there that I wanted to see. And then really like in between visiting friends, there were just, you know, like I'd heard of Glacier National Park, um, I'd heard of Driving Highway One, I'd heard about just like random places that, you know, people chat, a friend goes somewhere. And, and so I kind of, as I could fit those in, I did those. And, and I ended up going to 10 National Park Service sites on that journey during that nine months. Um, but really back then those weren't on my radar. Those were just like, Oh, this one's on my way. I've like, I was going to try to go to Zion and Bryce, but it blizzarded the week I was supposed to go. So I'm like, Oh, well, okay. I'll just go to Vegas.
0: Yeah. 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 A little more kind of flexible than probably what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had to, I had to arrange with my friends when they'd be around that I could stay with them, but otherwise it was like way less, way, way, way less work than this current trip is. Yeah
0: how many people total did you see? Like did you total like total up the amount of people you visited?
1: I did, um, I, I have it somewhere on my computer because I, I wrote a book about that experience and kind of naively thought I could just like walk up to a publisher and sell it. <laughs> um, but at the time I was super obsessed with statistics and so the whole final chapter chapter is all stats like how much money I spent, how many places I went, how many friends I saw. So I, I broke it down to like cost per friend visited, cost <laughs> per mile. Yeah. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to pull it up while we chat here and see if I can uh yeah, man. give you some of those stats. That's
0: cool. And you know, it's funny like that's super nerdy for sure, but <laughs> it's fascinating too, you know. Oh, I'm mean? a huge nerd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh uh, man, that's funny. I was even, I, my wife the other day, I'm trying to put together like a, uh, like kind of like clip show version of the podcast, you know, for, if people missed kind of the first few episodes. Um, and it was funny, my wife's like, you should do like some sort of stat thing. Like this is how many, you know, blisters people, because so many people have talked about blisters on the podcast. It's crazy. But, uh-huh. um, <laughs> but, you know, she was talking about that and I was like, Oh, man, that'd be awesome, but that seems like a lot of work to do all that. So
1: it It is, and I, I laugh. I'm, I've got the PDF pulled up here, so I'll have it in a second. Nice. But I, I laugh because I remember on that road trip, like basically I was just very – um, very careful with cataloging my receipts and using a spreadsheet. And I remember my friends getting mad at me being like, Stop spending so much time on your computer putting in your receipts and now like this current trip that I'm doing takes so much work that I'm like, Hi, nice to see you. Can I just sit in your room with Wi Fi for the next
0: ten hours? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well the the trip you're on now, like you're are you trying to get like sponsorship or people to kind of help support you along the way? And I know, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Sorry.
1: No, you're fine. Oh, yeah. I've been trying – I spent two years before I launched this like doing nothing but yeah. full-time trying to get help from so from companies and people. So that's always on my radar.
0: It's way harder than people would imagine, right?
1: It's It's so – okay. So I was totally Pollyanna at the beginning of this, and I was like – I was like, well, you know, it, it's a world record. It's two world <laughs> records, and, and, and I'm starting it on the 100th anniversary of the Park Service, and it's yeah. going to every corner of America. So, like, <laughs> this this company is going to donate an RV, and this company is going to give me free food, and this company will give me gas, and this yeah. company will give me insurance, and, and I can do it with a hope and a prayer. And uh, then... Then I started talking to these companies, and they were like, you don't have 100,000 Twitter followers? Yeah, bye. Oh,
0: man. Yeah. That's crazy, man. But you ended up getting some sponsors, right? Um, Not really. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. I could
1: get into that later, but I've got your stats now. Yeah.
0: Oh, just real quick about that. I was talking to a dude who was going to Antarctica to be the youngest guy to go to the South Pole. And he was saying the Uh same exact thing. He was like, yeah, after the two years I spent trying to get sponsorships, like Antarctica is gonna be a piece of cake. (laughs) Right, for real.
1: I mean, it's it's so, for anyone who's listening to this who's thinking you're just gonna like move into a van and suddenly be an Instagram star, (laughs) not the case. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Cool, man, so yeah, hit me with some of the stats.
1: Uh, so the grand total of expenses I spent on this 260 day what I called my dream road trip for nine months was seven thousand nine hundred sixty dollars wow. and twenty one cents so it cost me uh, I'll round I have it to the cents, but I'll, I'll round up just to help you keep it simple yeah uh, per month about nine hundred twenty dollars per week about two hundred fifteen dollars per day about thirty one dollars per person visited of people I knew before the start of the trip, 216 people. That's an average price of $36.85 per friend or family visited. amazing. (laughs) It's a cost of $173.05 per state or province visited, $65.25 per stop that I made, and 49 cents per mile of my 16,400 miles.
0: I just, I'm, I'm hearing that and 900 and some dollars a month. Like that's what people pay. People pay way more than that for rent. You know what I mean? Like I've, it's just, that's super inspiring. Like I, what kind of costs were you cutting at the time?
1: Well, so, and this is where stuff gets complicated. So I was 25 at the time. This was back before um all of our health insurance changes so my health insurance was like $30 a month okay because i was young i was healthy i don't smoke so that was dirt cheap compared to today
0: yeah
1: um i also literally ate a peanut butter and banana sandwich every day
0: <laughs> So i was going to predict peanut butter <laughs>
1: Yeah. So like, this was not like the rules that I had for that trip was that I wasn't allowed to buy alcohol at bars. I wasn't allowed to eat at sit down restaurants and I wasn't allowed to buy anything from convenience stores. Wow. Like basically if, if you're spending money just to make life easier on yourself, I was not allowed to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And why got, were your friends like taking you out to eat or like making dinner for you at times?
1: uh it depended like you know a lot of my friends were still in college so my rule of thumb was like if i was visiting somebody older than me they would usually take me out to dinner (laughs) yeah if i was visiting somebody my own age we'd go out to like fast casual and we'd each pay for ourselves if i was visiting somebody younger than me they were just really glad i had my peanut butter and banana sandwiches
0: (laughs) nice man that's cool that's cool so yeah you went all over so east coast to west coast like all over for that one
1: yeah, basically I started in Lincoln, Nebraska and drove to the northeast, down to the south, over to the west coast, up into Canada and then ended back in Lincoln, Nebraska where I
0: started. Wow. Yeah, that's that's I have a lot of questions kind of about the idea of just your view on the on the US as just in general as a country after visiting every because most people you know haven't there's big sections people haven't visited you know like for me i haven't gone to texas for instance and that's a giant portion of the united states you know but if you've been almost every like everywhere i'm sure you have a different and interesting perspective on it um
1: well, it's just cool because, like, on, on that trip in particular, I was I had just finished grad school and I was trying to figure out where I wanted to move, and so I was very keen on focusing on like what sort of lifestyles do people have in certain places, what sort of cultures, what are their attitudes, what are their work life balances, and so I laughed because if I was if I stayed in Canada, I had a working visa at the time. I was like, man, I would only want to live in Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver, and then I look at the states and I'm like the amount of cities we have that are the size of those cities and have the cultural and business opportunities that those have, like we are so lucky as U S citizens, because we can live in Seattle where it's rainy and temperate. We can live in Boston where it's really cold in the winter and gorgeous in the summer. We can live in Miami where it's hot and tropical all year round. We can live in LA where it's like 70 and sunny. Like we have so many options of big cities in every climate that people in, in some countries don't have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. What about, like, just the various kind of cultures around the United States?
1: You know, I, I think the funniest thing, and this is painting with the broad brush, but we are, we are so different as a country. Like, we, you know, between living in North Dakota and New York, like, yes, you're both Americans, but you're going to grow up in insanely different cultures and have very different outlooks on the world. But also at the same time, like you're watching the same movies. You're both shopping at Target. <laughs> yeah. So like even though the kid that grows up in Manhattan with like eighty gay uncles is gonna be very different than the guy growing up in North Dakota on four wheelers, yeah. like they they still consume the same media and they still consume the same culture in a lot of ways. So it's it's fascinating to see how different we can be, even when we consume so much of the same media.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. That's that's uh that's really cool. What okay, so I guess we should kind of get into your, your current uh journey. Actually, would you call it a quest? I feel like quest is just such a cool word.
1: That works. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I started calling it a project because okay. it, it needs some legitimacy, or else people just think I'm a hippie. <laughs> well, Which to be fair, I am, but yeah. you know,
0: yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, man, let's get into it. What when did this idea form? And when did you finally decide to kind of step up to it?
1: Um, So I'm really glad we talked about my earlier road trips, actually. That usually gets glossed over. But they were pivotal in this becoming what it was. Because, you know, from road trips that were a week long and just to South Dakota to ones that became a month long and were around the American South to then that nine-month one, like, I slowly taught myself how to live on the road, how to live affordably on the road, I gained the confidence to be like, I can go anywhere. I can do anything. I can plan big, epic trips. And I like gradually took myself there. So by the time, basically the day I turned 28, I was like, well, if you're actually going to live this every five years theory that you're putting out there, like it's time to buck up or shut up. Yeah. So I started imagining where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And really, the genesis of the National Parks Project came because every road trip I'd ever done to that point was based on where I could stay with people for free. So I thought, if I wasn't you know, held back by where I knew people, where would I go? And it was at that point that I remembered just the 10 national parks I'd been to in my life to that point, And I thought, those must be the most beautiful places in America. So I'm going to go to all of them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. I was, I had an imagination moment right now where I was just imagining you looking at a globe and you're like, where should uh-huh. I go? And then you just like hit it, hit with your fist. You hit the United States and you're like here,
1: <laughs> everywhere. Well, like, I, I remember even just talking to my sister on the phone one day and saying, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Like, is this crazy? And she was like, yeah, it is crazy. Um, But by that point, I'd done enough road trips that I think she was like, yeah, you're probably going to do it anyway. Um, (laughs) I I think really when it went crazy town was when I found out that there weren't 59 national parks. Well, there are 59 national parks, the capital N, capital P parks. But once I learned that there were 400 plus sites and a lot of them were designated as seashores or battlefields or lakeshores or monuments, and a lot of them were just as, if not more beautiful and interesting than those 59 national parks that most people assume is the only thing the National Park Service manages, that's when everything changed. Yeah, <laughs> it went to cra- crazy town big time.
0: Can you explain a little bit of that? Because I, when when Bill sent me your info and I went on your website, I was like, I was trying to wrap my head. I was like, 417 national park managed sites, and I was trying to figure out what counts as a national park managed site and what doesn't.
1: Yeah. So the National Park Service manages 417 official sites. Of those 417 sites, there are 20 different different designations that range from the, the 59 capital N, capital P national parks yeah. to national historic sites, national battlefields, national lakeshores, national seashores. In all, it's these 20 different designations. And really the difference between those designations is often political. So it's like a senator is owed a favor, so they create a national park instead of a national battlefield or a national monument. Um, Or in the case of national monuments, presidents can designate those through the power of the Antiquities Act, whereas a national park or historical park, Congress has to do it. So a lot of times, like Acadia National Park started out as a national monument. Okay. And a lot of times, you'll see sites that start out with one political designation and then get another name later on. And so it was this realization that, like, wow, am I really going to skip over places that might be beautiful and amazing just because some senator from Connecticut was owed a favor?
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. So <laughs> that sounds and, – and- <laughs> did you know well- it was going to take, like – I mean, you obviously were like, okay, the whole like doing it in a year thing has to be abandoned.
1: Totally, and, and just to follow up, one last thing I should explain is that when you hear rangers talk about these 417 NPS sites, you'll often hear them say 417 national parks, and what they're saying is the lowercase and lowercase p, national parks. It's just like, it's a, it's a nomenclature way of describing these 20 sites and saying it simpler than National Park Service sites. Um. Yeah, no. I, when most people think of epic adventures, they think it's a one-year thing. I think our society has done a really good job about purporting this idea that when you take a break from life, it's a one-year break. Yeah. And and just doing the math, you know, 417 sites. If you spent one day at each, you're already over a year.
0: Yeah, and some of the national parks, I'm sure you want to spend multiple days there
1: totally it's like the grand canyon my goal from the beginning was to raft that so already you're at eight days and you haven't even walked to the rim yeah yeah wow so So, was that
0: intimidating though like realizing like oh this isn't going to be a year and so you have to kind of breach that or uh, break that cultural norm there um and decide this is going to take much more time
1: it was intimidating and you know, thank God that I had that Pollyanna spirit back then because <laughs> I genuinely I genuinely believed I was like, if you if you just believe it enough, it'll happen. <laughs> and, and and I genuinely believed up until the day that I bought my van that like all these companies were gonna get behind me because you, you look at YouTube and you look at Instagram and you see these people with millions of followers yeah. and and you watch their like how I did it videos, and they're always just like, "Oh, I just like started making videos, and it just <laughs> happened." You guys are amazing. Yeah, you know, and it it looks so accessible. Yeah, and I like, like maybe thank God that I was so gullible or Pollyanna, but also, <laughs> like, it's not that way at all. Yeah.
0: Well, and uh, that's why I like about podcasts or like long form conversations is that you. because you know on a youtube video it's going to be short like a five minute clip and you know what are you supposed to say in a five minute clip like hold on let me go back 10 years to when i started this you know what i mean right on a podcast or like a longer form conversation you can really see like the metamorphosis of the idea and the struggles along the way which is kind of cool yeah so anyways you bought a van and you're just like, oh, I just put in a bunch of money myself, <laughs> so now it's serious.
1: Yeah, so you know, kind of when it came down to like D Day, I I essentially had the money that I had saved up from working throughout my twenties. Um, a lot of people hear my story and they think that I'm a trust fund kid, which I don't know any pastors that passed on trust funds unless they're Joel Osteen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get a lot of people who say that I live off the government, and I'm like, well. No, like I, I worked, I worked jobs and I saved up money and I just lived simply. So, um, yeah, it was, it was at the point when I began this. Not a single company had jumped on. I had contacted eight hundred different companies. Anybody that I, you know, even like Kleenex. I was like, I'll, I'll blow a Kleenex in every state. You know, like <laughs> any anybody I could with any sort of tie. Which, given it's national parks, you could pretty much pick any company. Yeah. Um. Because I just genuinely believed like all I need to do is find the one right person who gets this and they'll be fully on board. Um, but yeah, when it when it came down to it, I, none of that happened. And so I had, to, I had to find a van. I had to use my two music degrees and a bunch of YouTube lessons and turn it into like something I could live in for three years.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so do you actually – you spent time building it and like putting it together and making it livable.
1: Yeah, and the the piece of advice I give anyone trying to pursue the hashtag van life is that you should take at least a year to do your van. Um, I did mine in two months, and it was the worst two months of my life. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, just straight up following YouTube videos.
1: Sort of, yeah. I mean, I did I did research. Uh, I knew what I personally wanted and what my needs were, and so I ended up. It's a pretty simple design. It's It's a raised platform with a queen-size mattress on top of it. So I have storage underneath. I have a big enough bed for two people that could also kind of be a couch, but not really. Um, And then I have five 100-watt grape solar panels on the roof, which feed a battery bank, which gives me enough power to run a 40-quart high-efficiency fridge 24-7 and charge my cell phone and laptop. But in the two months that I had, I was not able to put in running water. I was not able to put in a bathroom. I was not able to put in heating or air conditioning. Uh, I was not able to put in any cooking abilities. So it's basically a bed, a fridge, and a plug-in for my laptop.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome, man. And you, you haven't have you like updated along the way, or you just don't have time?
1: Um, little updates. The the biggest thing that I learned was that I had a ton of storage but it was all underneath the bed and really cumbersome to access so any way that I could like hang something on the wall or make a cubby or put in some plastic shelves like any way that I could make storage more accessible I did because it's just exhausting to be like I need this t-shirt that is for plastic bins buried behind the opening yeah
0: yeah wow man so You head on down the road, and your first stop, uh, and forgive me if I'm wrong, was it in Washington, D.C.? You're going to start there and end there?
1: It was, yeah. So I was living in D.C., and I had two jobs, both of which finished in June of 2016. But I knew I wanted to start this journey on April 29th because that was the 11th anniversary of my dad's passing, and had just been a really crappy day for 11 years. And so I thought rather than let it continue to be a crappy day the rest of my life, I'm going to repurpose it and I'm going to launch this journey on that day. And I'm going to finish on that day three years later. So that for the rest of my life, April 29th is something triumphant and life giving and not a day of death.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, I don't know, shift, shift the, your, your kind of perception of the day, I guess. Totally. So cool, man. So you, so what? What monument did you start at?
1: So I began the journey at the Washington Monument, and I chose it because it's an iconic site that I feel like people around the world would recognize, but also wouldn't know is a National Park Service unit. Um, before I began this, some of the National Park nonprofits reached out to me and said, "Hey, did you know that, like, coincidentally, since you're starting on our hundredth anniversary, one of our goals is to." to educate the public that there are these 400 some sites, not just the 59 parks that most people have heard of. And so I figured it'd be a great way to help them with their, their mission of showing this by beginning there. And then I just decided it'd be a really cool concept to end at the Lincoln Memorial just across the reflecting pool. So I'd kind of have my own Rocky moment running up the stairs. (laughs) And then this, this, this idea of having literally traveled to every U.S. state and territory and then ending just a few hundred yards away or away from where I began.
0: Yeah. Dude, that's poetic. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, well, you'll be able to see where you began.
1: Yeah, like, uh, you know, I'll be able to look back and look across that, that reflecting pool and remember all the places I went. And probably the most poetic thing about this is and I didn't think about this at the time, but I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I talk a lot, of, a, a lot on this journey now about trying to be a role model for people like myself and Lincoln who grow up who grew up without the role models that I'm now trying to put out in the media. Yeah. And so it's so cool to end at the Lincoln Memorial, at a president's memorial who stood and still stands for so much about equalizing what it means to be an American citizen and standing up for civil rights and those who have been left out of the American dream
0: man that's it's so inspiring and i have to imagine that on the days because i'm sure you know every day that you're on this trip not every day is like yeah this is the best thing ever like i'm sure there are moments where you get kind of bummed out or maybe like lonely or, or whatever like the down days but i have to imagine on the down days that thought of ending at the lincoln memorial is just so unbelievably powerful that it can you know keep you moving forward
1: totally i mean and to be honest with you and your listeners the like the down days are the, are the majority like the the big difference between the last road trip i did and this one is that the last one i did i wasn't sharing it on social media with anybody but my friends i wasn't trying to fundraise from the road i wasn't trying to make blogs and make videos and photos like that stuff is exhausting It, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of work to make something look like a vacation. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so like, to be honest, you know, if someone is listening to this and thinking of doing their same thing, I would ask them what they want to get out of it. Like if your goal is just to live a less stressful life and have more freedom, then like by all means do not do any social media because it, it takes over the project.
0: Yeah. Has there been moments where you're just like, I know I should get the phone out and snap a picture of this, but like I wanna cherish this for myself?
1: Um, I wish I could say that there have been, but because of the reality that I started this journey without the money to finish it, like every day I'm like, survive, survive, survive. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Like if if I take one amazing picture and it reaches one person who donates, then I, I just bought myself another day on the road. Yeah. Or I bought myself another mile closer to the Lincoln Memorial. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate for me personally that it has become such a slog. But at the same time, the reason I keep going is because of all these people that have reached out to me from around the world who have told me how this journey is, is touching and improving their lives. And when it gets tough, like I think of those people and, and that they're counting on me to finish for, for their lives and for their sustenance. Yeah. And so it's it's totally morphed from what Pollyanna thought it would be, but also, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of this and I'm so happy with what I'm putting out in the world that it makes all the hard work worth it.
0: Yeah, it's almost like it's become bigger than just one person on this journey.
1: Totally. I, I mean, the the big moment that changed for me was I got an Instagram message from a kid who, who said, I'm a 15-year-old. I go to a private Baptist school in Texas, and I'm not out of the closet to anyone. But I heard about your journey, and I looked up your story, and I just want to thank you because now I know not only can I be ordinary, but I can be extraordinary. Yeah. Wow, man. And it, it was the realization that there's those kids out there who, for whatever part of me, they've never seen before are now able to accept and love themselves like I'm sorry when that happens you throw your own personal benefit out the window
0: yeah I know and yeah wow man that's such a that's such a I can't even I can't even imagine that moment and you know carrying that weight almost that's that's really cool I'm so like it's just so inspiring what you're doing it's really really cool well
1: it's like being an outdoor retailer this past week Um, somebody asked me they were like well how are you benefiting from this you know are you gonna get a sponsorship out of this are you gonna get an ad are you gonna get paid and I said you know I'm probably not going to but if i really believe in making the world a better place for my lgbt brothers and sisters yeah. like if i really ca- if i really call myself a christian and and believe that it's my duty to to use whatever privilege i have to make other people's lives better then how could i not be here and doing this like how could i how could i claim to be that person if i wasn't here sticking up for the people who don't have the ability to be here talking to these brands
0: yeah def- i i just i really just love the the idea that your father inspired this journey and along the way it's helped you kind of find a purpose bigger than yourself and a way to kind of help an entire community find like i mean because for me personally like finding joy in the outdoors is such a big part of my life and you know i just i hope every single person ever can find their same joy And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the outdoors, but the fact that you are promoting that is just, it's really, it's really cool.
1: Well, it's fun because like people have said to me, have you connected with your father on this trip? Yeah. And I think they're imagining like Cheryl Strayed on the Pacific Crest Trail, like, you know, feeling her mother's presence and having the will to keep walking on her bloody feet. And you know, I've had those moments in my life. I've had those moments on past road trips, but on this one, it's a lot less cliche. You know, the the <laughs> moments where I feel the moments where I feel my dad are when I realize that he was a pastor and devoted his entire life to trying to make people feel more welcome, more loved, and more included in a faith. And so he was he was trying to make the world a better place through social justice, and even though I'm not an ordained minister, like he was like, I feel the most connected to him and that I feel like I'm carrying on his torch after his death by continuing to do what I can to make people feel more welcome both in the world and beyond.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, what better way to honor your father than that? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So just a couple kind of, uh, I don't know, quick questions to wrap up, wrap up the show this week. Um, I know. My- I'm
1: sorry it's been so heavy. I got to give you some good, <laughs> like, par- park nuggets. People are listening to this like,
0: okay, where should I go on my next trip? Yeah, man. Let's talk. Okay, so I'm curious because, dude, I lived in Iowa my whole, you know, childhood and stuff, and I never went to the two places that are listed as national park sites. So you have Herbert Hoover, which is right by yeah, where I grew don't up. Don't worry about that one.
1: <laughs> okay, cool it's it's basic it's basically your grandma's small hometown. <laughs> like I went there and I'm like, this is where I went every year for Christmas next.
0: <laughs> awesome. okay. what about the uh, effigy mounds?
1: That was pretty cool um, yeah. it's it's more of a it's more of a historical site. What have you been?
0: I haven't been, man. It, it blows my mind because i I lived on that side of the state too. I lived on the Mississippi River, so you know it's what part where are you from i'm from muscatine so uh kind uh-huh. of by davenport in the quad cities um, Uh huh. as you're driving i80
1: yeah i can't believe that wasn't like your school field trip
0: i know man i know i actually know schools that went to herbert hoover which makes me laugh mm. <laughs>
1: but not the Poor effigy things. mounds i know
0: <laughs> no i mean the
1: effigy mounds was cool because it's it's we don't exactly know what they are but um the, the mounds are essentially when you look at them from the sky they're these giant earthen mounds that are in the shape of different animals so bears deers eagles and and we don't know if they're burial mounds or if they had some sort of religious ceremony significance we're not entirely sure but you know there's a spirituality to the place so as you're walking around there and the wind blows and there are these giant earthen mounds next to you and you're contemplating why they're there and what it would have taken to build them and then you look to your right and you're right on the bluffs of the mississippi so um you know it's sites like that 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 might not be the grand canyon but they have a wonder and a splendor and a magic to them that is often overlooked
0: yeah definitely what can you give us like a couple other lesser known sites that just really blew your mind
1: yeah so uh, i'll give a quick plug when i finish this journey um so many people i've met they say oh i want to go to the 59 national parks in my life yeah and i'm like that's a great goal but definitely don't make your life goal based on what Congress said is a good place to go, which is ironic because that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> but let me help you And like, for example, wind cave national park, um, is one of the 59, I rank all the sites I go to on a scale of one to 10 and I gave that a one. Like I have been to so many other caves that are way better. So if your goal is just to go to those 59, I hope you'll wait until I finish this trip because I'm going to come out with what I call the Micah Meyer 59, Nice. which will be the 59 best sites that the national park service manages, regardless of title or designation.
0: That's a good idea.
1: Yeah. And so some of those, um, some of those, top 10 ranked parks thus far that i'll tell you about are any of the sites in the u.s virgin islands which i can't promote highly enough right now visiting because of everything that they suffered with the hurricane in december of 2017 so once those hotels are up and running like go to any of the nps sites in the virgin islands they'll blow your mind guaranteed and your cell phone will still work without an international data plan it's all in the u.s u.s dollars like it's the car it's the caribbean while still being in the u.s
0: Ooh,
1: nice um, yeah totally um granted i still have a third of parks to go a third of the sites and some of them are what you might consider the most epic so american samoa hawaii guam alaska mm-hmm. but of the two-thirds of the sites that i've done this far some other standouts that people probably don't know about include dinosaur national monument which is on the border of Colorado and Utah and essentially has everything you can ask for in any other national park service site, all within one unit that has barely any traffic because it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's a monument designation. It has two rivers you can raft through. It has ridgeline hikes. It has canyons. It has large green plateaus, rolling hills, snow-capped mountains. Um, Either of either of the Badlands sites in the Dakotas, so Theodore Roosevelt National Park or Badlands National Park, were some of the most stunning vistas and sunsets I've ever seen. And nobody goes to them because they're in the Dakotas and they think they have to be in Utah or Colorado. Yeah. But just like, you know, people go to Yellowstone to see bison and they might see one and it smells like farts the whole time. <laughs> In the two days I was in Theodore Roosevelt National Park, I saw like 70 bison, I saw herds of bison, I saw baby bison, a giant bison walked around the corner and I had to run in my van to like escape it. Wow. So, yeah, don't overlook the Dakotas. And it
0: didn't smell like farts, so that's cool too. It
1: so did not smell like farts, it was amazing. Uh, actually the wind is always blowing and seemingly in north dakota so even if someone does fart like the wind <laughs> will take it away
0: nice a pl- a extra advantage they should put that on the ads for the dakota national parks <laughs>
1: north dakota legendary doesn't smell like farts
0: <laughs> awesome awesome man what yeah do you have a couple more sorry i cut you off yeah I- i'm trying to
1: trying to give you guys something in every corner of the country so no matter who's listening they can find something close. Um Glacier National Park up in Northwest Montana is on the border of Canada and it's just a really huge multifaceted park with so many options of things to do. Um I, I can't recommend that one highly enough for the Northwest. For the Southwest I still haven't done Arizona and California so I'll tell you, White Sands National Monument and Carlsbad Caverns are pretty close to each other and are both epic in their own ways. And then, really close to that is the highest point in Texas. So, if you want to climb to the top of Texas, you can do so. Also, Big Bend National Park is on the border with Mexico, further south from there, and is four hours drive from the large or from the only commercial airport. Wow, um, commercial service airport, but is like it's just. It's a spectacular place and it has you can you can walk to Mexico, you can swim to Mexico, you can trip into Mexico, you can boat to Mexico. So if you at all feel like being a renegade and crossing into Mexico right now, uh, <laughs> Big Bend
0: National Park is the place to go. Nice. That's cool, man. What about so you you've been to like the east coast already, right? Like the southeast and the northeast.
1: Pretty much the only the only places I haven't been and Haven't knocked out all the NPS sites are uh, Arizona, California, and Southern Oregon. Okay. The mid mid-Atla- Atlantic area, so like Ohio to North Carolina to Pennsylvania. Okay. And then Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, and American Samoa.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Did you see? Everywhere so else. I read a really interesting one on your website uh, about. Uh, katahdin woods and waters national monument and i was just curious Mm because you know the national monuments definitely recently in the news have kind of you know been very prominent uh due to kind of like reduction in size um like a couple episodes ago we had someone who ran through bear bear's ears um Uh which i don't know if you've been to yet but i just i was curious Mm -hmm. because your article is super interesting because there's a lot of uh you you found in the town next to it there was a lot of like signs that said national park no and i'm kind of like why oh, yeah would people not want a national park in their backyard you know
1: yeah i mean it, it's tough it's like it, and this is represented across our entire country there are there are people who believe that the way things have been done will have a renaissance and Um, in in this instance, it's the timber industry. And so the people who live up there have seen the timber industry ebb and flow, go up, go down. And right now it's down. And so they don't have a lot of jobs, but historically they're saying, look, it's going to come back. So you have the people who believe in that. And then the other people who are saying, well, with globalization, with cheaper timber from other countries and States, like it's not coming back. So our greatest hope for economic revival is this national monument So it's tough because you, you have people who are holding on to hope that something can return and other people who are looking towards the future. And that's why it's so controversial because you have these two camps and, and each one is kind of hoping that their gut is correct.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha, man. Cool. Well, I guess, uh, to wrap up the podcast today, I, I have been asking people this every episode lately. Um, and it's, if people listen to this and just leave, as I do, uh, I always leave these conversations like just ready to take on the world and super inspired. Uh-huh. What, what would be an actionable step they can apply to their own lives and their own goals? Um, some sort of advice that you have for them.
1: Okay, so this I'm going to try to make this not sound morbid. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I, would, I would look at what's something you want to do with your life and then, like, a, take whatever age you think you'll live to and divide that number in half. Okay. And then say, like, you know, what if, I, what if I get sick? What if I get hit by a truck? What if something happens, like, and I only make it to 40? Like, is this something that I want to do bad enough that I would regret if I didn't get to do it? And then figure out what you can do to make it happen by 40. Um, you know, obviously, there's always extenuating circumstances. I chose to do this journey now because I am without a mortgage. I am without a family. I am without a sort of obligation. So if you have things like that where other people are dependent on you, then it's something to consider differently. But I'd say the actionable the actionable thing to take out of this is whatever your goal is, whatever your goals are, look at them and say, is there a way that we could do them sooner rather than kicking the can down the road and assuming that tomorrow will come?
0: Perfect, man. Perfect. That's, that's definitely great advice and you know i just i th- also think like taking that time to reflect on that is something that we tend to forget to do when we get you know when life gets busy but uh it's really important
1: well, and i should add like this doesn't have to be sell all your belongings and move into a van yeah. you know people people people's goals can be um i want to start my own business or uh, I have one friend who's always wanted to go live on his grandparents' farm and be a farmer for a year. So, you know, these goals don't have to be just traveling places or doing stuff that Instagram would love. Like these goals can be spending time with my loved ones. Yeah. You know, doing uh, doing a, a sport or an art form that I've always loved. Start taking lessons. You know, it doesn't have to be sell your house and your belongings. It can be something that you just do every Tuesday night from now on. So think big, but you know, don't, don't move into a van if you don't want to.
0: Yeah. Love it, man. Love it. Where can, uh, where can people follow your journey? Uh,
1: so the easiest way is to go to my website, micahmeyer.com. That's M-I-K-A-H-M-E-Y-E-R. If you forget how to spell it, just type it into Google. Google will correct it. There's nobody else close to that name. (laughs) Um, same thing with social Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, just type in my name, Micah Meyer, M I K H M E Y E R. I should show up. Um, and you know, if your pictures is your thing, Instagram blogs, your thing, my website. Um, if you want videos from the road and little daily thoughts, hit up my Facebook or just do them all is what I would say.
0: Yeah, there you go. Nice man. Well, good luck with the rest of the journey. Uh, I, I look forward to following it. I think it's, it's really inspiring and it's something I could turn to, you know, every single day and look at like, where's Mike at today? Like, Oh, there he is. (laughs) He keeps going. Right.
1: (laughs) And I've got some amazing stuff upcoming. It's going to, it's those parks that nobody visits to those like the bottom, the bottom rung of the least visited parks are coming up
0: and Alaska too, right?
1: Alaska is going to be nuts. I don't know how much you and Bill talked about it, but it's like, like like three months in Alaska is going to cost me as much as like 12 to 15 months in the lower 48. So I'm currently doing a big crowdfunding campaign and just like praying that I meet nice people up there who are like, Oh I have a, a bush plane.
0: How about I just take you there? <laughs> That's exactly, dude. Me and Bill talk about Alaska all the time. <laughs> it's on his mind too. So,
1: and I feel so bad for him because his his project is unique in that he can't. Um, a lot of these bush planes, it's like two thousand dollars each each yeah. day you rent them. So, like, you could go in, you could hike for an hour and fly out for two grand, but you can't run a marathon in an hour. That's true. So Bill has to like pay for the two grand twice
0: yeah yeah man definitely well i'm gonna have him back on the podcast soon too so definitely that's another one to kind of tune into as we we kind of hash out his alaska plans so
1: <laughs> yeah well watch my watch my socials this summer and you can see what you'll get into
0: dude that rocks man okay awesome well good luck with everything and i'll i'll let you let you go so thank you for coming on the show today
1: my pleasure hope everybody has a great day all
0: right thanks my good all right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much, Micah. Um, I wish you nothing but the absolute best of luck for the rest of your project. Um, super cool, super inspiring. Make sure you're following him, uh, following his journey. It's MicahMeyer.com, M-I-K-A-H-M-E-Y-E-R.com. Uh, same on Instagram. And I realized over the last month or so that uh, we definitely are seeing an increase in uh, new listeners. And so I wanted to do something for you guys. So come back next week. Um, I'm putting together kind of like a clip show uh, from our first 40 episodes. Well, I want to do a clip show of our whole entire run so far, but uh, realized that I had so many so many moments I wanted to include that I'm going to split it. So I'm going to do the first 40 episodes and then some point in the future, I'll do the second 40 episodes. Um, So yeah, I kind of have some highlights kind of give you a taste of what the podcast is about. So um, some incredible, amazing adventure stories, super inspiring motivation um, and really good advice from previous guests. And then I just have some silly moments (laughs) that I, uh that i enjoyed so i decided to put those in so yeah come back next week check that out and then i actually have the episode after that recorded with bill psycholic who's it kind of relates to this episode because he's running a marathon in all 59 national parks um this will be the second time he's on so we've talked to him before uh and yeah it was great bill is amazing and awesome guy he's actually who connected me to micah so thank you bill um but yeah come back check us out uh, if you enjoyed the episode go to itunes subscribe leave us a review that'd be sweet and go get him this week i hope you guys have a amazing week all right see you next time